Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Cara Podcast. My name is Madeline. I'm your host, and I'm so glad that you are joining us for this mini series. I'm so excited to get into this episode today because it has been such a personal learning experience for me, and I really just have been so excited to share this with y'all. So let's just jump right in. So today I want to talk about reading the Bible in context and kind of understanding what we're reading. Because for me, when I was younger, I just kind of saw the Bible as a book that we read to learn more about God and who he was. And while that is very true, and at its simplest form, that is what the Bible is, the Bible is really so much more. And I've heard people say before, um, especially Christy McClellan, that the Bible is the living, breathing word of God. And I think sometimes we are like, okay, how is it living, breathing? Is it really living, breathing? Like, why are we saying that? That's just weird. It's just a book. But the more that I have grown in my faith and the more that I've really studied the Bible, this has made sense to me. And it's not so much that the Bible is literally breathing and moving. It's just that the Bible is so real and it's our history. So I'm really excited to kind of help you all get a better understanding of what you're reading so that when you get into the word, you can feel like it's more of a close friend and not just a a distant acquaintance. So we're going to talk briefly today about how to read the Bible correctly and some tips that I've picked up on on how to really dive into what the verse is saying. Um, And we're going to talk about the Old Testament because that can be super confusing. And then we're also going to talk about um, the different translations. We're going to talk about some documents that were included in the Bible and now aren't. And then we're also going to talk about just some really cool, unique ways to approach the Bible. So the first thing I want to say is every religion has their holy text and that sort of thing. But the thing that's really cool about the Bible is God allows the good, the bad, and the ugly within the Bible. And he's not afraid to show his wrath towards people who are sinning. Meanwhile, a lot of other civilizations and religions have scrubbed their literature. They've taken out the bad. They've sanitized things. And I think it's really important to note that God is completely transparent with us and he doesn't need to be. And there are some things that he doesn't reveal to us, but what's really cool is that he shows his character and he shows, yes, I will get angry justifiably and I will give grace. And so I just think it's really important that we know that the Bible is 100% true and we see that God is allowing every part of the, every part of his character, every part of history to be in the Bible. And so if you thought maybe, oh, God's leaving some things out, or maybe, oh, the Bible isn't 100% true. I think the fact that God keeps everything in the Bible is just more proof that it's true. Because if you were making up a lie, you would make up a very pretty lie. So I just think that that's something important to note. And then before we dive in, I also want to recommend a book called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Fee and Stewart. I'll have it linked below. Um, You can purchase it on Amazon. And of course, I have this book. So if you want to borrow it, please let me know. I'm happy to share. Um, But this is a book that we are reading in my class right now, Um, and it has really been a great kind of way to guide my learning and guide, especially for the Old Testament, which is what I'm learning now. It's really helped me understand the Old Testament better, so I would definitely recommend that you check that book out. So diving right in, I just want to preface this by saying I will have a link below that also kind of goes through what I'm saying, and it'll just have a breakdown of all the different translations. I've had people ask me before, oh, what translation should I get? 
and I've gone back and forth on this before. I have several different Bibles. I have a NLT, a KJV. I've got an ESV. There's a lot of different translations and it can be kind of confusing because you're like, why do we have all these translations? Why don't they all say the same thing? To answer the question, I'll start by saying that the Bible was written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And all these manuscripts were collected over many, many years by many authors. And I'm also going to have linked below all the cross-references in the Bible because it's such a cool chart. But since these manuscripts are all collected within different languages, because of course, as culture kind of changed, you know, people from different backgrounds, different languages. And so it's really important to note that that's why the Bible isn't, no one had access to the Bible. There's going to be no verses in the Bible that are going to say, read your Bible because they didn't have the Bible back then. I mean, half of the New Testament is just letters to the new churches. And so since they all had these different manuscripts that we found at different times and they've got all these languages, we've tried to interpret them and and we've tried to translate them as best we can. But then when we get a better translation or we find a different manuscript that we can kind of cross-reference and double-check our work, maybe we find that it was a different word within a different context because, of course, some words have different meanings, right? So that's why there's so many different translations. You might say, okay, well, then how do I know which one is true? Why are there so many different translations? That's just too confusing. I don't want to stick with this. This seems like really contradictory. However, in my experience, I've loved having all kinds of different translations. I started out with an NLT because NLT is a really great way to start out. They're just easier to understand the New Living Translation. And I would recommend the NLT, the NIV, the New International Version, or the ESV English Standard Version if you're starting out just because those are pretty straightforward. And then if you're looking for something a little bit more in-depth, I would go with the ESV, the NASB, or the KJV. Now, KJV is going to be a little bit harder to understand, of course, since it's written in that old English, but it's a great version. Back to what I was saying. These versions are great to have because you can read them side by side. There's this thing called Harmony of the Gospels. It's where all the Gospels, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, are all placed together since they kind of tell the same story of Jesus' life, but with different stories. Some some things are different, some are some are kind of the same. Um, and then you might say again, well, that's kind of hypocritical. Why aren't they all the same? But you have to remember that these are different authors with different backgrounds. And that's something we're going to get into later today. So the harmony of the Gospels is basically all of the Gospels kind of put side by side. So you can read through a story kind of as you go. And this is also a book that I got from my class. And it was a little confusing at first. But the more that I got into it, it was actually really cool to see all the verses side by side talking about the same things and being able to kind of um, go back and forth between the two. So that's why I love having all kinds of different Bibles and going back and forth between different versions. Because while the different versions may have a slightly different translation, we still kind of get the same meaning. And it can still help us learn if we're understanding, okay, this word that they use in this verse also means this over here. So you can get different meanings. And it's just a really cool way of reading God's word and seeing it from different perspectives. A quick fact for y'all is that there are 66 books in the Bible, 39 Old Testament and 27 New Testament. Thought I'd drop that in there for y'all. Y'all will see this kind of as you go through in the chart that I'll have linked below of the different translations. If you're going to refer someone to a different translation, of course, I would start with the NLT, NIV, and then for a more in-depth ESV. ESV is my favorite by far, but I also really want an NASB. There's word-for-word thought for thought, and then paraphrase translation. So ESV is more word for word. It's more literal. And there's a chart, kind of like a sliding graph on there that will show you where the different translations kind of fall on that scale from word to word to paraphrase. 
So that's really interesting and y'all should definitely check that out. It's a great resource. And then to kind of wrap this section up, um, I want to talk about how if you are a beginner in the Bible or if you are know someone if you know someone who is a beginner and you just kind of want to pour into them on how to read the Bible, start with John. It kind of covers the basic, this is who Jesus is, this is the message. It's pretty straightforward and easy to read. So I would definitely start with that because if you start at the very beginning, it's hard to understand kind of what's going on. Okay, in the beginning, and then you hit the genealogies and you're like, forget this, and you put the Bible down. So start with John. And then secondly, I would find an easy translation. So start with that NIV, start with the NLT. That way you're not trying to confuse yourself over all the different meanings and that sort of thing. Um, Bible studies are never a bad way to go. They can just kind of guide you and kind of help you explain something that maybe you didn't see or you missed. And then I would definitely pray for eyes to see and ears to hear. A lot of times there's a veil that's covering our eyes and we just need to pray for that to be lifted so we can understand what God is trying to say to us. So those are my recommendations if you're starting out. And I would definitely go check out that resource on the different translations because that's been super helpful for me. So the second thing I want to talk about today is my favorite thing to talk about. It's pretty much what this podcast is based on. And it's something that I'm super, super passionate about. So right off the bat, I'm going to give y'all a book to kind of go over this. It's actually in my Amazon cart right now. And it will probably be purchased when I'm done recording. It's called Rediscovering Israel by Christy McClelland. It's basically, and it says in the, a fresh look at God's story in its historical and cultural context. What I want to talk about for a second is context. This is so important. And I also want to say that living in the Western world in America, we have very different culture from the Eastern world, especially the Middle Eastern world. And this is not a bad thing. Differences are amazing. It's just that we may not understand the context of the Bible because we are not in that land. And that's okay. It's just going to take us a little bit more research to kind of get up to speed. Whereas someone living in the Middle East might open the Bible and say, oh, I know exactly where this is. I know this. I know what's going on. We're going to talk about context and why that's important. And then we're going to go over some documents that aren't in the Bible, but were in the Bible, but are still important and relevant, even though they're not in the Bible. I'm going to start out by giving y'all a quote by Professor Dave Dillon, one of my favorite professors at Williamson College. He said, context is the portrait behind the live action of the Bible. So if we're reading the Bible and it's like our movie and we're getting all this action like David and Goliath and Jesus being resurrected and Jesus being resurrected, we have to also know that there's a backdrop behind that. Like, why was Jesus crucified? Why would they think of that as a punishment? Oh, because that was part of the Roman fear tactic. Okay, so when you understand the culture, you understand why things happen in the Bible. It makes the Bible real. And I think that that's been the biggest thing for me is that context has made the Bible real for me. Learning the history and knowing that this is something that really happened. I'm going to give you all a couple lenses for studying the Bible in context. This is something I learned at Williamson. So if you're near some paper, you want to jot these down, I really would encourage you to do so. The lenses are historical, literary, cultural, linguistic, geographical, and visual. And I'll say those again kind of towards the end of this episode, but I just want you all to keep those in the back of your head. So when you're going through and you're like, okay, I need to study the context and the culture and I need to study the context on this verse or this chapter, whatever you're reading, then you can have those lenses and you can fill them in for that chapter. 
my NIV Bible has a note on the authors before every chapter, and it kind of explains their context and who they were, and it also has maps in it. And so sometimes we'll just kind of toss those to the side. Yeah, yeah, map, okay. But those are so important. Those are so important. So don't disregard those because those are so helpful. My ESV Bible doesn't have any of that, and I wish it did. So that's why I love going over to my NIV. And I think that that's another reason that translation, different translations are so good. So culture and history matter for the context. For example, who was king or queen during this time? Who was the, who was the pharaoh during the times of Moses when the Israelites were trying to escape Egypt? And that's a really interesting thing too that we've learned about in class. We don't think of it as the same pharaoh as the pharaohs from history, like King Tut or whatever, but they were in the same time. I mean, not King Tut specifically, but there were the same pharaoh that was there in the time of Moses is a pharaoh that was recorded in history. And so it just it's just small things like that that make it real. And then, of course, it's also important to consider what culture was this written in and how would this apply to what is being written? When you're reading the scriptures, pull out a history book, do some research, read those footnotes from the author, use the maps. Everything is a resource. And it really helps us understand, like if you have an old map of, okay, this is where the Egyptians were at this time and that sort of thing. It can be so helpful to understand because a long time ago, they had different countries. They had different lands. And the author matters too. Of course, some authors are anonymous, so we can't know every author, but Matthew has a Jewish background. So his letter, his gospel is aimed towards the Jewish people. However, John, he writes kind of aimed towards the Gentiles. And so it's important to know like, where is the background of this author? Who are they writing towards? What's their audience? That sort of thing. Before we kind of jump ahead to the different texts that aren't in the Bible anymore, I want to give you all an example of why context matters. First of all, ancient geography was backwards. Up and down was north and south, and it was all based on elevation. So they had different kind of directions than we did. Of course, they had cubits instead of feet or centimeters. And then another really great example, something I learned recently, when we think of Moses crossing the Red Sea, sometimes we think that, oh, he probably crossed at the Gulf of Suez. You might need to look at an older map for this because you're looking at the Egyptian territory of the present day. However, if we look at where Egypt was in the old times, they actually still owned that peninsula that is now Arabia. So why would they cross over the Red Sea into into that peninsula, which is now the Sinai Peninsula? So it makes sense like, oh, okay, they crossed over from Egypt to Mount Sinai, like it says in the Bible. But if we look at where the territory for Egypt was, they actually still were in control of that peninsula that we now know as the Sinai Peninsula. And over across the Gulf of Aqaba is where Midian is, and that's where Moses fled to to do the shepherding before he returned to Egypt. So it makes sense why when he was fleeing the first time, he went all the way across both gulfs. And then to completely flee Egypt, they're not going to cross the Gulf of Suez and then just be back in Egypt's land. No, they're going to cross at the Gulf of Aqaba And then they're going to get out of Egypt's territory and be in Midian where the Mount Sinai is. And so it's just little things like that where it completely changes where the Bible is and it completely changes our view of the story when we know the context. So I want to talk briefly about something that I'm still kind of studying right now. So I'm not going to know everything about this topic, but it's something that fascinates me. So there are these documents called the Apocrypha. Some are written during the intertestamental period, so between the two testaments. Important thing about these documents is that Jesus would have spoken and taught with these documents in mind. 
and they're not a part of the canon of scripture. They were in it, but then they were taken out just because there were some things that didn't quite match up and they, the authors were a little unreliable, but there are still some like basic Jewish history, Jewish literature, Jewish culture, Jewish rules within this, these additional documents. And while they may not fit into the canon of scripture, they are still so important because Jewish people knew these rules and laws and they knew this history. And so when we study these apocryphal documents, we can better understand Jewish culture and Jewish history. And Jesus would have been so familiar with these texts that sometimes maybe he wouldn't say something because we already know it in the Old Testament or because we know it in the Apocrypha. What I'm trying to get at here is reading the Bible is really important. The things we learn in history class still are important too, even though it's not a biblical account of creation and it doesn't have the Jewish history, our history, the Israelite history. It's still important because we can match it up with the Bible and we can use these additional documents that maybe aren't a part of the Bible to still further our learning. So it's all important still. Important to note that Jewish history is our history. Christianity stems from the line of David and David was a Hebrew. He was an Israelite. And so disregarding the Old Testament as just, oh, some old books with a bunch of genealogies that are really hard to understand is incorrect. It's still our history. And that makes the Old Testament more personal. It makes it more real. At least it does for me. When I read through the Old Testament, I'm like, okay, this is my history. This is something that happened. And that's what I'm saying when the Bible comes to life. The Bible is coming to life because it's our history. And it's just so cool. Finally, I just want to discuss the Old Testament and the New Testament briefly because they can be a little confusing since they're so different. The Bible is a love story, a book of guidelines for life, and a book of hope and redemption. It shows us how to live more like Christ, how to avoid evil, and shares the hope for Jesus' return. However, it also chronicles the thousands of years that God spent redeeming the human race from sin and continuously chasing after us with covenants so he can dwell among us. So it's important to know also what the Bible is. The Bible is true, 100% true. It's meant to help us and to guide us. Everything in the Bible matters, even the genealogies. Genealogies are used to trace Jesus' line back all the way to Abraham. They're used to show the grace of God making a great nation of Israel, redeeming Abraham and Sarah and giving them children, making them a great nation, continuing David's line, also including Rahab, the prostitute, in the line of Jesus. And so we see that God is continuing to fulfill his covenants even though we can't fulfill them on our end because we're human. Even though Abraham couldn't fulfill his covenant, he was made a great nation. Even though David couldn't fulfill his covenant, one of his sons, Jesus, did end up taking the throne. Even if it was in a different way than I'm sure he thought it was, God is still fulfilling his covenants even though we can't fulfill them on our end. These genealogies just show God's grace. And then I also want to talk about the Old Testament versus the New Testament. So Old Testament history can be verified through secular history. That Gulf of Aqaba talking about earlier, they found that there's only one place that people could have crossed over if the waters had been parted. And it's this sandy, shallow area that would have been very comfortable to walk across. Otherwise, it's just super deep. And in that sand, they found these six-spoked wheels. They were specific to that time, and they were known as like the greatest weapon of that time. And they found it in that sand. Biblical history can be verified. And so it's just very cool how you can kind of go through the Bible and you can match it up with secular history and be like, okay, 
I learned this in school and then I'm learning this in church and this is how they match up. And it just makes the Bible so much more real. It's also important to know that the Old Testament is meant to be read literally. The Old Testament is not a hidden message. It's not parables like the New Testament. It's just straight up history. You read it as it is. And that's something that I didn't even know until my most recent class. The New Testament is more open for interpretation. Parables were used to help ease big concepts. They were a huge part of Jesus' teaching. Since his audience was mostly illiterate, using stories was a great way to kind of pass his message down since they did storytelling, and that's how they passed their history down. Parables were also used to get people's attention with a relatable story. And most importantly, they were used to hide the truth from those who didn't want it. If they understood the message Jesus was telling them, then they would be held in greater judgment because they understood it. He did not want to arm twist people into the kingdom. He respects our choice to rebel and refuse. That's another really cool thing about parables is just another extended arm of Jesus's grace, of God's grace. Even though he knows that we're not all going to accept his message and we're not going to accept eternal life, he's still respecting our choice. Even though he's so much greater than us, he still sees us as having a choice, which is really cool. Well, I just want to close out by kind of wrapping everything up with a little bow. This is God's word to be interpreted. And yes, sometimes God will speak directly through the verses to us, but we need to stop seeing the Bible so selfishly. It is God's word. I also want to emphasize how important context is and how important it is to understand the culture and the history of what we're reading and the audience, the intended audience for the books that we're reading. Is it the Israelites? Is it just a chronicle of history? Is it parables? Is it the church, a letter to the church? What is the intended audience? As some of you may know, there's a really very basic way to kind of start reading the Bible. It's called SOAP, Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. But I would go a little bit further and I would maybe change this up a little. And I would change it to SCAP. It's not even a word, I don't think. But I would change it to Scripture, Context, Audience, and prayer. And I do think that the original soap is important, but adding in that context and audience is a really great way to get a more in-depth view of what you're reading. I would start out with soap, and then when you want something deeper, when you're ready for something deeper, I would go to scat, and that's trademarked. Just kidding. And then finally, I just want to review those lenses for studying the Bible in context. Historical, literary, cultural, linguistic, geographical, and visual. Everything that I talked about today has completely changed the way that I see the Bible. It's helped make the Bible more personal. It's changed it from, oh, just something that I read every now and again to, oh my word, I cannot wait to get into my Bible because I know that I'm going to learn something so different and it's going to blow my mind. I would highly recommend that you check out the books that will be linked below. And of course, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out. I really hope that this gets y'all fired up to go get into the Bible and learn more about what you're reading because just taking it for its surface level meaning is okay. But once you get in and you start learning the context, it'll light this fire and give you this hunger for God's word like you've never experienced. Thanks so much for listening in, y'all. Grace and peace.